solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about being caught by quicksand. All of the traps the earth that the society offers us today can be avoided when we have a firm foundation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad you're here this morning. Would you turn to one somebody close to say, I'm glad you're here too, and then have a seat. All right, you forgot about the part about have a seat. They don't listen to me, like you. <laughs> All right. So glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, and I got to meet some people who are here for the very first time, in the seat back in front of you is what we call a connection card. I'd love for you to take that out and fill it out. If you have prayer requests, there's a place to put that. If you have any questions about the church uh, doctrinally, or if you have any questions about what we believe or what we stand for or anything like that, or if you have uh, any kind of special needs, just put that on the back. And then uh, if you would, either turn it in to myself or my wife right back down here, or there's an offering box to the left of the double doors, and guests just turn in the connection card. Uh, that's where our members put their tithes and offerings in. And I am so excited today. We have, uh, okay, where, where's Marvin? Marvin McElroy, where are you, my friend? Where? Right back here. This guy was on staff about 100 years ago with me in, uh, in a land far away, like uh, over in, uh, you know, close to Imperial Beach. And uh, Marvin, so good to see you. And where are the Jennings now? Where are they? Right, right here. And they, they were in the same church, and uh, we're glad to have them with us today. And then we have Randall and Rachel Hernandez, our incredible missionaries to Pakistan. I mean, right down, what, 15 minutes from city center of, in, in uh, Karachi, Pakistan, and we are so thrilled. We've been supporting them and uh, giving, helping them get MANA projects going in addition to supporting them as missionaries for a few years now. And we're, man, we're glad to have all, and I'm glad to have the rest of you here too, but it just, uh, I was like, it's old home week here. Everybody walking in, it's like getting nostalgic around here. So thanks for coming, everybody, and uh, be sure to fill out the connection card. If you're watching by way of Facebook uh, or YouTube, are we ready to go online and be able to fill out the thing? Or is that, you can. You can go online and fill out a connection card also, fbcoronado.com, fbcoronado.com. We'd love to have uh, your records of, of, of watching us also, uh, so please do that. We're going to be having communion service at the end of the service today, so that means prepare yourself. The Bible, Paul says, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we're to examine ourselves. And last night I was praying as we were going to bed, and I, I prayed that God would help me to know if there's anything in my life that needs to be confessed to him, if there's anything in my life that uh, anyone I'm not right with uh, to make it right. Uh, and, and that's serious business because some people had partaken of communion who had been uh, not right with God, not ready to do that. And as a result, they were very sick. And some had passed away, according to the Apostle Paul. So it's serious business. And I hope that, in fact, uh, you will make sure you examine your own heart. Then we'll have afterwards a military meal. By the way, thank you. Some of you helped out with the military. I didn't intend for that last week. Uh, we, we invited the military to go down to Taco Bell and treat them to a gourmet meal. And... Uh, <laughs> 
we, we, we didn't have too many show up, but uh, we had people that, uh, that contributed. So, you know, thank you very much. And that will go in our military meal, the excess into the military meal budget that we have that we feed every single Sunday. So uh, that's on for today. Is that right? All right. We're ready to go. I was going to send them over last week and let them go ahead and make themselves at home, but I decided that wouldn't. That was okay with Ryan. Pope's going like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. Check out our bulletin for several Bible studies held throughout the week, and I know some of them are on and off because of uh, summer right now, but check them out. Next Sunday, Jehovah Sebaoth, Jehovah Sebaoth which is a name of God, and it means the Lord of hosts. But what in the world does the Lord of hosts mean in our ongoing study of the, uh, of the names of God? That's next on the list, so we'll talk about that. Billy Falling uh, is with the Lord. Uh, Gary, I didn't get a chance. I just found out this morning. Uh, yesterday morning, he went home to be with the Lord. So be praying for his family. We will be having a memorial service at some point when they get that figured out. Uh, but um, don't be feeling sad for him because he's, he's Pentecostal. I don't know if you knew that. So I'm sure he was dancing on the way to heaven. He, he didn't even wait until he got there. So uh, I'm certain of that. So he's a, he's a great, great guy, a great friend that I've known for many, many years. Agat, where are you? Would you come down here and make an announcement? She's going to use this microphone right here, gentlemen, in the sound booth. And uh, we, she has a table out front. She's going to tell you about that table and why it's there. Good morning. Yes, I just wanted real quick to let you know that um, somewhere in the USA, the foreign exchange student, whereby we uh, share the love of Christ by hosting uh, uh, high school students from Basque Country, northern Spain, um, we're trying to place the last five students. Uh, and we think Coronado Homes, Imperial Beach Homes, um, all the communities you all live in, would be and the, and your families would be fantastic to uh, have as host families. So I have a table outside with the student profiles of exactly. It's not like just any student. You know exactly which student and their interests and the things they like to do, and you can see if they would fit in with your families. And my family did this for two years, hosted the same exchange student for two years. So we've had experience with it. It was wonderful. Um, so many great memories, and uh, I highly encourage, if you want to consider it, to come talk to me after the service. You went to see your student when you were over there. Yes. Yeah. We went to uh, Spain to see him and meet his family as well. So you develop a relationship with, with these folks, and, and my understanding of Basque Country is uh, it's very rare that the gospel reaches people in the Basque Country, uh, and so this is an opportunity to be an evangelist and letting people see your lifestyle and bring them to church and having events with them. So uh, I know they had a great time with their student. If you're interested, uh, see her after the service and the GAT will fix you up. She'll hook you up. Exactly. Thank, Thank you. you so much for that. All right. Uh, the bulletin, the prosperity of the wicked. Uh, and this is borrowed. I give the credit to the, uh, the creation research team down at the bottom. Uh, why are the wicked so prosperous while the e evil and why are the evil people so happy from Jeremiah chapter 12 and there's not probably anyone in here who hasn't looked at certain people very um, ungodly people and wonder why they are so seemingly blessed in this life one of the perennial theological problems is the apparent prosperity of the ungodly along with the suffering of the righteous why would God seem to endorse such a system it's been that way for ages. Some 2,000 years or more before Christ, 
Job asked the question, essentially the same question, as did the prophet Jeremiah in our text above. Wherefore do the wicked live and become old, yea, are mighty in power? They spend their days in wealth and say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of your ways. Likewise, the psalmist Asaph complained, I was envious when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The real solution to the paradox is not in the present world, but in the world to come. We need to keep that in mind. Where hell awaits the ungodly, and heaven awaits those who God has redeemed through faith in Christ. The fact that a man may prosper materially is not necessarily a measure of God's approval. The previous economic boom in this country made many people very wealthy, and most of them seem either indifferent or hostile to God. But their wealth is very ephemeral, very short-lived. As David said in another psalm, I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. If God does not give a few believers material wealth, it is so that if God does give few believers material wealth, it is so they may use it for the Lord and for others, not to pamper themselves, charge them that are rich in this world that they not be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but they might be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, 18. When I think of people like Bill Gates and uh, Steve Jobs and so on, I wonder why why couldn't that be Christians who would then uh, plow all those resources into the evangelism of the world? Uh, but again, um, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And that's for God to sort out. Every gift that we have from God uh, is, is such a blessing. And we are, by many standards, very rich because uh, we have heaven in our future. And I wouldn't trade all the wealth of the world for heaven. I wouldn't trade it. Would, if I could have it all, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it. So uh, let's, let's not be envious of the, of the wicked uh, rich. Let's pray for them and witness to them, give them the gospel so that they too might be born again. Let's stand together. We're going to worship the Lord in song for another couple of songs.
If you believe, would you join Chuck Seeler in saying amen? Amen. All right, good. Thank you. you. May be seated. Are Jennifer and Jason here today? Are you here, folks? Is is the middle? They're in the middle school. They're out there setting up? Okay. All right, good. We'll have uh, middle school here in just a moment. Before we do, before we have the kids come up, I'm going to have a kid that, from my past, Randall Fernandez, come on up here, and uh, the missionary to Pakistan. I didn't know he was going to be here today, and he kind of showed up and surprised us here. So uh, give us a little report. What's happening in Pakistan, my friend? It's great to be here. Just thank you so much for um, always giving us such a warm welcome. Thank you for the many, many years now of support uh, as we've We've been in Pakistan now uh, over 10 years. We're closing in on 11 years. And um, God's been really, really good. And there's just amazing things happening. Actually, your church helped us start uh, our, a feeding center through Mana Worldwide. And let me begin just by letting you know how that's going. Our, our, our Mana feeding center right now has 35 children that are receiving meals five days a week, as well as English lessons and a Bible lesson every day. And, uh, and that is being done in one of the largest slums in, in the area, uh, in, a, in a church that we were able to start, that we planted in 2019. So before we had the center in our, in, in our church, but we realized we could better serve the community and help that church and, and that area by moving the center there, and, and it's worked out great. This, this year, in January, we were able to start a new project, a, a church and a, a school in a little village outside of Karachi. Now, this, this village is mostly made up of modern slaves, families that have been given very, uh, that have been given debts with very large interest rates that they'll never be able to pay off. What ends up happening is these kids are, are put into forced labor from the time they're, you know, old enough to walk, basically. And we want to help break that, uh, we want to help break both the spiritual bondage and the physical bondage that they're in. So uh, we were able to actually get permission to start uh, a church built, to start a church and a school. So we built just a very simple structure so that it could, uh, so that we could help that community. And currently we have about 15 people that are ready to get baptized there from a non-Christian background. And we've also secured uh, the funds to, to, to bore a well and build uh, the first bathrooms for that entire community. So it's, it's really an amazing work. And coming up this year in the fall, we will be helping one of our graduates. We currently have 45, about 45 uh, national leaders in training right now in our institute that we're working with. It's a three-year program. And what we, want, what we like to do is when they graduate, we, we try to help them uh, establish themselves in, in their ministry. And one of our really brightest graduates, uh, he, he, he started a school before, uh, a church before he actually started attending our school. And he grew that significantly to about 150. And when he started attending our institute, he was just immediately, you know, the top student. And he was recently ordained and, and uh, we want to we help them move out of a house church into a more permanent place because they, they don't fit. I mean, probably <laughs> their house church is as big as this stage, and they have about 150 people. 
So they need something a little bit bigger. And of course, they don't have chairs. They sit on the floor. And so we're, we're, this, this fall, we're going to help them uh, build a, a, a little bit larger auditorium. But we're also going to put classrooms on top so that we can start having our, our Bible classes and we can start training leaders in that community as well. So uh, that, those are just some of the projects that, that, uh, that we have going on. And, and uh, since we've been here in, in February, we've just been so encouraged by the fact that uh, we, we had some unexpected delays, so we had to extend our trip in the U.S. And we've just been so encouraged by our national leaders there in Pakistan. They've been able to take over and just run things without us, and things are going smoothly. Uh, for Easter, they had over 500 people at the church. Uh, they're just doing a terrific job, and that's just been such an encouragement to us. So, uh, but I, I do want to end just with a prayer request. We are leaving to go back to Pakistan on the 13th, so the following Monday. Our visa expires on the 22nd of June, and uh, we're, we're cutting it close. So please pray that uh, Pakistani customs won't give us any problems as we come in that they won't uh, accuse us of wanting to overstay our visa, or uh, uh, we, that's, not our, that's not our desire. We always reapply. But just pray that they wouldn't give us any trouble as we fly. And like I said, that'll be a week from Monday. Thank you again so much for, for your support and your love uh, that you've shown uh, for many years now. Thank you. Okay, and Randall, he's Part of the reason they've extended here is uh, medical situations he's been dealing with, and, and just continue to pray for him in that regard, too. Uh, for those that don't know, Pakistan is 97, 98% Muslim? About 98% Muslim. And they're running, they're doing these ministries you just talked about yeah. uh, right there close to Karachi. Give them like a, like a 45-second testimony how you got saved, and, and that, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love to hear that. Um, I was born here in, at San Diego at Mercy Hospital. My parents lived in Tijuana. And when I was about five years old, my parents really wanted me to learn English. So they enrolled me in you know, the most affordable K through 12 school that they could find. And that was, at the time, Midway Baptist School, um, Ocean View. And, uh, and in the third grade, I, I felt really far behind. Um, academically because I didn't speak the language right and in the third grade my teacher Mrs. Mobley she taught me how to read and as well as uh, she shared the gospel with me for the first time I was in her classroom and she just I remember she started sharing the gospel with the kids and I remember the tears in her eyes and and I went to her during recess and I said I don't I, I really don't want to go to hell because I know I'm a sinner and uh she took me into the gym, and I could take you to that, that exact same spot today. And, and she uh, went through the Romans Road, and I accepted the Lord that day. And I, and I, always, I always like to say that uh, because a, a, a white man from Chicago uh, <laughs> went to, uh, came to San Diego, hired a black third grade school teacher, this Mexican boy accepted the Lord is now sharing the gospel in Asia. So God is really, really good. Uh, so. Thank you very much. Let's pray for him right now. Our Father, we pray for Randall, pray for Rachel, we pray for their visa situation. You know all things, you know the beginning from the end, and so we pray that you would take care 
of that situation. Father, in addition, we pray for his, uh, his eyes and for the surgeries that he had and pray that, God, you would um, enable him to be able to do the ministry and to be able to continue doing a great work in an incredible place. Father, thank you for letting us have a part. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, my friend. All right. Was that good or what? Yeah. All right. Where was Miss Mobley from? Belize? Okay. All right. Great. All right. Kids, come on down. All the boys and girls, come on down. And for the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians to get ready for the message? Ephesians chapter 4. Boys and girls from First Baptist Church. Hi. How are you? Good to see you. This is a good-looking group of kiddos. Let me ask how many of you, how many of you boys and girls go or like to go or have gone to SeaWorld? How many have gone to SeaWorld? All right. How many have been to Birch Aquarium? Do you know what that is? You did? What did they have at the Birch Aquarium? Fish, that's right. They had a lot of fish. We've got fish up here. Look at here. Huh? Yeah. And so some of you, how many of you have at home have an aquarium? Does anybody have an aquarium? Do you have a fish bowl? You don't? Do you have a fish bowl? No? Okay. All right. But we, so, so in order to have the aquarium, look how pretty this is, boys and girls. In order to have an aquarium or even at SeaWorld uh, in some of the exhibits they have or in Birch Aquarium to have all the water look so nice and all the fish be so bright, they have to have, hmm? Hammerhead sharks, too. Yeah, that's right. In order for them, to, they have to have an aquarium. They have to have something to keep the fish in. And then they have to have a filter so that it doesn't get all dirty. Because what happens in an aquarium or a fishbowl if you don't have a filter? Yes. It gets nasty, doesn't it? It gets yucky. It gets all this algae in it, and it gets all this creepy stuff that falls all over, and it's just really, really bad. So you have a filter. Well, you know what? God gives you a filter. God gives you and me a filter to, so that the philosophies of this world and the ideas of this world won't get all yucky in our lives, and that filter is the Word of God. So whatever people tell you, whatever people try to get you to do, make sure that it's filtered through the Word of God. Make sure it's something that God wants you to do. Otherwise, then things get messed up. And like an aquarium that's not got a good filter, it, your life can get really, really dirty and, and crummy. So make sure you keep God first and keep his word first in your life, okay? All right? You want to pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings you give us, Lord. We thank you for the word of God that filters uh, out the debris from our hearts and minds and keeps us able to see clearly Lord, we pray your blessings on these girls and boys and that you would very soon lead them to Christ if they aren't already, just like you did Randall years ago, just like you did me years and years ago. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to spend a few moments with them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, go ahead and go to your class. And middle school, you're out on the patio, so middle school students, go ahead and go there as well. Now, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now, first of all, First of all, my apologies to anyone who attended Ocean View Church School's graduation service because you are going to get a little bit of a summer rerun. 
It's summer season, right? So you get a little bit of a rerun, but you will get a little bit more than I was able to give uh, there at the graduation service. Secondly, I'm going to do a strange thing. I'm giving the text for today's message later instead of at the beginning because I want to kind of build it and, and, and build up what I'm talking about. And the theme is, do you have a world view? God did not save us uh, just so we can sit around and, and leave us on our own. He gifted us with the very first people in our lives, our parents, and maybe uh, along with our parents, aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, all who poured into our lives in one way or another, and he gifted us with those people. He also gifted his church and church schools and so on uh, to be able to, um, to pour into our lives, and he gave the church offices uh, and functions for the betterment of the family and of uh, us and as individual lives. So the calling of these people so gifted is to bring the body into unity. We're going to see that in a little bit. And to bring us to maturity consistent with the doctrines of the Word of God and a right relationship with Christ. Now when that happens, we are grounded. We sing the song, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We sang it few minutes ago, when you're grounded in the Word of God, then you don't drift. You don't just go up whatever the false wind of doctrine is, whatever the way the wind is blowing. You, 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 you don't uh, grab onto that and let it become part of your worldview. Grounding is good when you're dealing with electricity, because if you're not grounded, if it's not grounded, you're liable to be the thing that grounds it and it'll go through your body, and that's not a good thing. Grounding is good when we're talking about buildings uh, built on foundations that are meant to endure hurricane or gale force winds. Grounding is also good when we are rooted in the Word of God, in truth, as opposed to the world's philosophies and ideas. So what grounding might be called is a worldview. So I ask you again, do you have a worldview? And the answer, the short answer is yes. All of us have a worldview. A more complete answer would identify characteristics uh, of our worldview. Now, being a Christian, you might think, automatically gives you a biblical or a Christian worldview. But that's not automatic. That's not always the case. Because again, we have been poured into for however many years before we come to Christ. It might be in the case of Randall, myself, it might be uh, you know, eight or nine years of age. For you, maybe you were saved when you were 20. Maybe you were saved when you were 40. And the longer we go in this world before we come to know Christ, the, the more uh, of the world's philosophies can work into our brains and into our hearts via school, via friends, via whatever else uh, that's around us. So, so our hearts are changed at salvation, but our minds may have a lot of leftover baggage in what we see as a worldview. So what is a worldview? One dictionary defines a worldview as a particular philosophy or conception of the world. And as the word worldview would, would seem to imply uh, it's an overall view of the world, how we look at things. It's not a physical view of the world uh, where our physical eyes are involved, but it's a philosophical view. It's a spiritual view. It's an all-encompassing perspective on everything that exists, everything that happens, everything that we are told and see and feel and think. A person's worldview represents the most fundamental beliefs and assumptions about the universe that we inhabit. And when you have a right worldview, well, in fact, even if your worldview is not correct, 
Your worldview is going to answer the big questions of human existence, fundamental questions about who and what we are. Who, who, who are we really? What, what are we doing? Have you ever, uh, you remember, I, I remember the first time I heard, it had been decades ago, somebody was looking for themselves. I'm going to go try to find myself. I'm like, dude, walk into the bathroom, look at the mirror. There, <laughs> voila, there you are. You just found yourself. But, but I know what they're saying. I know what's the, what's the reason. Where do we come from? Why are we here? What are we doing here? What's, what's the meaning of life? When bad things happen, what's that all about? When good things happen, what's that all about? Those are the kinds of questions that your, your worldview is going to help you to understand. The meaning, the purpose of life, the nature of the afterlife, what counts as good here and now. Um, so too few people, I believe, too few Christians ever really give a lot of thought to what their worldview is. Now, they might say, yeah, you know, yeah, I've got one, but, and, and they do, but have we really thought about it? I read a, a statistic this last week, maybe two weeks ago, uh, on Facebook, so it must be true, uh, <laughs> but I read a statistic that they did a survey of pastors, evangelical pastors, and that, that means Preachers, theoretically, who preach salvation by grace through faith. That's, that's what my definition of an evangelical pastor would be. And they found that only 57% of evangelical pastors had a biblical world view. And that could explain why our country is so messed up, so confused about some of the most basic questions you can possibly ask. You cannot give out what you don't have. And if these evangelical pastors don't have a biblical worldview, then they're going to have some other kind of worldview they're putting out there as truth. So do you have a worldview? And again, the short answer is yes. Many of you have spent years, uh, first of all, you spent years in your family, obviously. You're still spending years in a, your family. Maybe it's your, and now it's your, your wife instead of your mom and dad, or your husband instead of your mom and dad, whatever. But you've, you've spent your whole life probably in a family of some, court, of some sort. And some of you have spent time in churches. Maybe uh, I, I spent time in, in my first several years of my life where they were kind of, one of the churches was extremely liberal theologically. Um, and hence, uh, I don't have a lot of good foundational things that I got from that particular church. Uh, God, in his grace, led me to a good church when I was a sophomore in high school. What a critical time that was. And I am so thankful. I'm eternally grateful for that preacher and for that church that made a difference in my life. So you've had families. You've had parochial schools, Randall. You've had, um, you've had uh, influential friends. And all of these things work together. And they kind of mix up together and, and give us our worldview. And what we see and how we see things depends on the components of our worldview so that uh, there are actually glasses or goggles that you can wear for riding motorcycles or for shooting that make things more clear. They, they, they somehow the yellow lenses make things pop. Somehow, to, some of you might be able to explain. I don't know how that works, but it does. There are other lenses that you wear, polarized lenses, for example. Certain things, uh, glares are cut out. They're completely cut out. There are other lenses. I remember um, when I would get up and, and eat cereal, uh, Cheerios or Frosted Flakes or sugar corn pops, 
Take that. Sugar, corn, pops. Uh, and and he, they would have these little games and things, and, and they'd have these, these cardboard glasses that you'd put on with red film in them, and you could read the secret code on the back of the uh, cereal box, which was probably something like, be sure to eat more sugar corn pops today than you did yesterday, because it's what you need to do. It'll make you strong. And rot your teeth out, but it'll be good for you. You'll, you'll like it. So, so some lenses kind of things are lost. And so depending on the color of the lenses that we have in our worldview, we see some things clearly, we see some things not so clearly, and then some things we don't see at all. And worldviews are largely determined by one's politics and ethics. And you ever, you ever hear someone say, oh, we don't, we don't want to talk about politics or we don't want to talk about ethics or more certain moral issues. Uh, religion, they'll say, not usually moral issues. We don't want to talk about religion and politics. You know why? Because it's in those very areas that worldviews differ dramatically, drastically. So as such, uh, they shape what we believe and what we're willing to believe and how we interpret our experiences and, and how we respond to these experiences and how we relate to others, our thoughts and our actions are conditioned by our worldview. Unfortunately, it's not just good people and good things that help us form a worldview. It's sometimes things that are not so good, like television and movies. I don't know if you've noticed the, the, this, the, the, I mean, you have. If you've been watching TV, you've noticed a huge change in, we were watching uh, I don't even remember what it was now. Um, Hill number something. It was an old, huh? Hill number one. I don't know if you all remember that, but I mean, I didn't remember it from the first time it was out. But I mean, it, it was basically these Marines in Korea taking Hill number whatever it was, 43, or, and they were kind of discouraged because uh, it was one hill after another, one battle after another, and it was just like repetition. And the chaplain shows up and starts telling them about hill number one. This is a Hollywood movie, and hill number one was Calvary, and hill number one was where Jesus died for our sins. It was a Hollywood movie made in 1951, and, and some of you will remember all of the King of Kings and the Ten Commandments and the robe and, and all of those things. There's been a huge shift Obviously, over the years, but boy, in the last year or two, there's been even a bigger shift in what's considered right and moral and decent. And it's because those who determine what the content of te television and movies are now are committed to agendas and world views that are in conflict with the Word of God. Some of us have, probably all of us have friends who don't share our worldview. We have neighbors who don't share the worldview. We have, there are musicians that we listen to who don't have our worldview. We have uh, college professors, you, you who are college age, you who are going to go to college, uh, and those that are in college right now, college professors have a profound influence on students and, and have a, a worldview that is not, many of them, not consistent at all with the Word of God. In most cases, the shapers of our worldview are all mixed together, and, and we have to filter everything that we hear, everything that we see, everything that we think, everything that we do, everything that we feel through the Word of God. As I told the kids, this is the filter. This is through which we pass every idea, or theoretically we should. And, and so, yes, you have a worldview. Now, my question is, what is your worldview? We have worldviews colliding. They've been colliding for decades. They've been colliding probably for longer than that. 
Western civilization predominantly has been dominated by a Christian worldview. You know why? Because when the Apostle Paul was getting ready to go in one direction, God directed him in another, told him to go to Macedonia. And so the gospel, you understand, the gospel went westward. Didn't go eastward. The gospel went westward. And so that gospel was so compelling. That gospel was so uh, life-changing. That gospel was so powerful that it influenced a whole uh, civilization, a whole way of life. And, and Christianity became the predominant characteristic of Western civilization. Even though there were groups and individuals who challenged it all the while, and even though there were problems with the Inquisitions and, and the, the Re Reformation and all that, but in the last couple of centuries, for reasons ranging from technological to theological to so-called scientific, the Christian worldview has lost its dominance. That's why we live in a post-Christian society right now in the United States of America, unfortunately. Most, when 57% of the evangelical pastors don't have a Christian worldview, where do you think that leaves the other clerical and clergy who don't even believe in maybe the doctrine of verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God? So these non-Christian worldviews include things that Randall deals with all the time, and, but other things, and it includes things that all of us deal with, naturalism. Naturalism is everything is nature, everything is biological, there could be explanations for all of that. There, there is no God, there is no theism, there is no, uh, no one to whom we're accountable. We are uh, the product of evolutionary science and advancement and the survival of the fittest and all of that, adaptation, and so we are where we are and who we are because of naturalism. We're highly evolved animals, and the universe is a closed physical system. The only thing with that is it's wrong. Postmodernism, there are no really objective um, um, truths and moral standards. There is no absolute moral standard. It's, it's what is truth to me may not be truth to you, and what's truth to you may not be truth to someone over here. Well, that's wrong also. Pantheism, God is the totality of reality, so we're all divine by nature of the fact that we have this, you know, we're, we're all divine. We're just, everything, God is everywhere, everywhere is God, and we're all kind of mixed together. There's no real person that is God. Pluralism, the different world religions are all valid equally so that uh, someone who believes in, uh, in Hinduism or Buddhism or, uh, or something, some kind of um, witchcraft or voodoo or Christianity or whatever else. It's all, they're all legitimate and they're like spokes in a wagon wheel and they all lead to the hub. You heard that? I guess that's okay if when you die you want to go to the hub. <laughs> but if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way. Amen. There's only one way. There's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. So then there's Islam that, that you deal with all the time. Randall, there's, there's only one God. He has no son. God has revealed his will for people through his final prophet, Muhammad, and, and his eternal word is the Quran. 
And yet the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, who was buried and three days later rose again and is alive forevermore, is interceding in our behalf in heaven right now, and is coming back one day as we sang about a little while ago, and we'll establish a thousand years of righteous reign, and when then there'll be a rebellion again for just a momentary time, a period of time, and then will be eternity. And God and the Son and the Holy Spirit will rule and reign forever. Then there's the moralistic, therapeutic deism, where God just wants you to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. As long as we're happy. If it feels good, do it. That was back in, well, 20, 30 years ago. If it feels good, do it. A lot of things feel good. You better not be doing. That's not a deterministic of is it, is it the right thing to be doing if it feels good. It maybe feels good to eat a half a gallon of uh, Rocky Road ice cream. Probably not a good idea. So what? What, what, what's, what's right in a, in a world that's so messed up? The, the raising of these worldviews is why we have questions that we have in our society today. The, the, the Scopes monkey trials back in the 20s pitted uh, traditional belief in Adam and Eve and creationism against a theory called evolution. And so now, and at first, by the way, it wasn't supposed to be taught ever as more than a theory, that it's just a theory. But now, and it is a theory. And by the way, creationism is a theory also, because you can't reproduce it in a laboratory, okay? So technically, they're both, you use a scientific method, creationism and evolution are both theories. However, comma, the Word of God talks about creation, talks about God being personally involved, talks about human beings being separate from animal creation. Evolution says we just, look, I'll tell you, you know why I'm not an evolutionist? I don't have that much faith. You're starting to think about it? Look, the, the way there had to be a man and a woman back when there were men and women. <laughs> there had to be one of each evolve at the same time and at the same place on the face of this globe in order to get together and they had to like each other or something. I mean, it's, it's too absurd. How, how, did we, how did we come out of the mire? Proteins bumping together in this primordial soup. You know, I mean, look, I, I don't have enough faith. Evolution is contrary to the teachings of the Word of God. Well, I, you say preacher. I've heard preachers uh, say that, uh, that they're we could have evolved, uh, that God could have used evolution. No, 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 because they reproduced after their own kind. They didn't reproduce some other kind. All the animals reproduced after their own kind. All the birds reproduced after their own kind. All the fish reproduced after their own kind. All human beings reproduced after their own, their own kind, their own genus, their own species. So evolution has worked its way into the worldview of most people today. Abortion. 1973. It was, it was around before that. In fact, there was a court case back in 1970. But 1973, it kind of became codified by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? Now that perhaps that's going to be found to be unconstitutional, there is no guarantee for being able to take the life of a preborn human being. 
Isn't it amazing they're saying, well, they're putting their religion into it. Well, what did those judges do back in 1973? They put their religion or their lack of religion, one or the other, into making their decision that it's okay to take the life of a preborn human being. Look for euthanasia to be cropping up. Pornography, our society is decimated by pornography. Christians, lives are ruined by pornography. Same-sex marriage, transgender rights, gender confusion, a man can have a baby, embryonic research, uh, to, genetic enhancement is where that goes off the tracks, to manipulating genes to, to make some kind of, a, in your mind, a superior child somehow or another. So what is your Christian worldview? What, what are you supposed to believe? Maybe some of these things you've thought, well, preacher, I, I kind of I understand what they're talking about there. Well, let me talk to you about a godly worldview. God gave people, gave us people who are to shape our worldviews in the right way. And here's the text, finally. Okay, it's almost over, and I'm giving you the text now. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until when? Until we all come to such unity of our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will be, listen to this, no more, no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I said something Friday afternoon at the graduation service. Did you know that everything has a theological aspect to it? And the obvious thing that someone might say is, no, no, that's not so. I'm an atheist. There's, I have no theological bent. I have no theological presumptions of any, assumptions of anything. Uh, it's not true. I'm an atheist. But think about this. If God did not exist, where's your atheism? What's that all about? Even an atheist has theology. And his theology, there's, there is no God. Everything is theological. Everything goes back to, everything has its basis in what God would have us to do, what God have us to believe, what God have, would have us to become. If you've not contemplated, folks, your worldview, this is a challenge to think about your worldview. Think about it. What, what, what things have crept in that are worldly philosophies? that are things that maybe college professors wove into the studies or maybe high school teachers or maybe even kindergarten or first or second grade teachers and uh, with all the, the, the critical theory, with all the, uh, the, the confusion about genders and all of that. 
Think about a worldview and base it on the very words of Almighty God. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God, God's grace be with you all. And then Paul says in Colossians 2, beware lest anyone spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So for the last time this morning, what is your worldview? Hebrews 13, 20, now may the God of peace who brought us up from the dead, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I hope you'll spend time this week, searching your heart, saying to God, God, show me worldly philosophies that have seeped into my worldview, anti-Christian, anti-God teachings that do not need to be there. You need the right material in your worldview to make the right decisions for what God would have you to do with your life. Would you bow your heads, please? Our gracious Heavenly Father, sometimes we're so close to our own belief system that we, we, don't, we don't really scrutinize it and measure it to the Word of God the way that we should. Sometimes we're moved by sympathy to believe something that is not true according to your Word. It's not right according to your word. Sometimes in the name of just wanting to get along, we'll surrender precious doctrines. So Lord, remove our confusion. Remove lenses that are, that are blocking out the truth. And let us replace them with your lenses, your word, to see clearly what you'd have us to do, be, and think. Father, give us a obvious Christian, biblical worldview in all things. And may it reflect in our politics, in our belief systems, in our actions, and in our words. God help us. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's lost, who knows not if they died today, they'd be in heaven tonight. And Lord, may today be the day they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord, Savior, and God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to examine your hearts as you do stand, to examine your own life. And if you're not certain that if you died, you go to heaven, I'm going to be right down here in the front. I want you to come down, and we'll talk together. We'll pray together. My wife's down here, ladies, if you would like to talk to her. Maybe you just need to examine your own heart. Maybe God's revealed something that's there that shouldn't be there, and, and you would come and just 
commit that to the Lord. Confess that to the Lord. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell my wife. Just confess it to God. Make it right. Whatever God's leading you to do, we're going to sing this invitation hymn. Might be three or four verses. I'm not even sure. But as we sing it, you do what God would have you do. And if you need to step out from where you are and come down to the front, come ahead and do so as they sing. Sing along. to come forward right now. Come on. about to have communion together, that time of unity, or united around the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If you did not receive the communion elements, but you would like to, if you would raise your hand up real high, we'll get those to you just as quickly as we possibly can.
Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, rehearsed what he had learned from the Holy Spirit and was told to record by the Holy Spirit. He said, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in, when, in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body. Let's bow our heads together. Father, for your broken body... We can never deserve it. We, such wicked sinners, to imagine that God's own son, without any sin whatsoever, would allow his body to be pierced through with nails, with the thorns, with the glass and the bones and the whip, with the spear that pierced your side, your body broken for us. It's too amazing to understand but we appreciate it. And thank you for your body broken on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, take eat. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you, not only for the broken body, but for your shed blood. According to your word, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So thank you, Father, for fulfilling all prophecies. Thank you for pouring your blood out that we might have everlasting life by grace through faith in you and what you've done for us. Bless, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. He says, as often as you drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. On that fateful night that he established communion, they walked out afterwards into that garden called Gethsemane. They sang a hymn before they left. So we are going to ask you to stand and as much as possible join hands, as much as you're comfortable doing, join hands, and let's sing the chorus, Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. bless you all day long. It's the Lord's day. Thank you for being here.
Oh, oh, oh.